Welcome to the Splinters Podcast from the team on the bench. Community Radio's leading no-holds-barred Friday night sports show. Available online and replayed on Triple H 100.1 FM. Now, here's your host, the Sultan, Tony Dosen. Yes, my name is Tony Dosen, the Sultan. Welcome to another edition of Splinters on a Tuesday night on Triple H 100.1 FM and on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and via podcast at podcasts.com and wherever else you pick up your podcasts. Tune in, Spotify, iTunes and all the bad places you pick up your podcasts as well. As we started in our first year, just over a year ago on Splinters, we made the pledge to do things that others don't do, particularly when it comes to to local sport. After all, it is the radio station of Hornsby and Kirin Guy. So, when you have a look at making a difference and touching on the things that the others don't discuss locally, it made sense when it came across my desk that the Barara Cricket Club is celebrating its centenary this year and recently, last Saturday week, celebrated that centenary with a lavish dinner at Club Barara to call upon an individual who you know and have heard of regularly and heard from regularly on other programs on this station. He's an historian and I was lucky enough to discover a former president of not only the Barara Cricket Club but the local Hornsby District Association. Uh, He's been a Barara resident and, as I discovered, also in my research a former president of the Brazilian Cricket Association back in the day. These days, he is still a friendly alderman on Hornsby Council. You hear him on other programs. He's just put out a very extensive two-volume history of the Barara Cricket Club's 100 years of existence. I speak of Alderman Nathan Tilbury, and it's great to have you on Splinters for the first time to discuss this outstanding piece of work you've put together. Welcome to the program. Tony, thank you very much for having me. It's great to be here. And uh, one of my passions is is obviously the Cricket Club and the Brower Cricket Club chalking up a centenary. It's no small feat. Uh, 1919 to 2019 is something we're celebrating. And as you pointed out, the Brower Cricket Club did that. It wasn't a, a lavish dinner. It was a stand-up finger food. But um, it was all about the club and... and uh, teammates catching up with old teammates and and celebrating that that centenary which was a fantastic event you ran that um i'd say lavish by local club standards much more lavish than your standard uh biscuits and tea that you get at most saturday afternoon tea breaks absolutely all right let's go back right to the beginning barara is very much a rural village uh just after or during the period of world war one in the first period of the 20th century. Take us through, in brief, how the Barara Cricket Club got started. Yeah, you're right. Barara was a very rural area. It was a place that people used to go for their holidays, um, but very inaccessible. The only road out there before the Pacific Highway was a rough old road, old Pete's Ferry Road, and uh, that went through, and that was you know, falling apart. The locals had to carry shovels around with them because council wasn't doing any work on it. <laughs> um, and, uh, but we did have the railway, and that was a great way for people to come in, uh, tourists and also people to get it's out. It's the lifeblood of, of Barara, Barara, wasn't it? And, and when I say get out and get their goods out, there was a lot of farming going on, mainly poultry farming and, and a bit of orcharding and that sort of thing. Um, so to get the goods out, that was really important too. 
1919, Tony, as you as you know, was the end of World War One, and you know Billy Hughes was our Prime Minister. We had yep. about five million people in mm-hmm. Australia. William Holman was the uh, Premier of New South Wales. Billy Hughes was in his first, second, third stint as Prime Minister. Well, I depending think on which party he was representing, he was he was in his third party, the Nationalist Party, which <laughs> went on to become the Liberal Party. William, William Holman was also part of that as well. Uh, P. A. James was uh, our local um, Shire President or Mayor. He was a New Zealand-born prominent businessman, um, owned a sawmill in uh, uh, behind council chambers there, but he was also uh, a cricket lover, yep. which uh, supported all those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Look, the Spanish flu epidemic was going through yes. Australia at that time. That was brought back by soldiers. They closed schools and theatres and um, churches and libraries, all yep. sorts of things. That, that caused about 12,000 people to lose their lives, let alone the war. Balmain won the Sydney Rugby League competition. Yes, they did. New South Wales won the Sheffield Shield. Now, in that year, probably the most important sports person was born, uh, sports person in our Hornsby Shire, that was Bill Alley. He was born in Brooklyn. He was a boxer. He was undefeated in 28 fights before he was forced to retire after being struck in the head in the cricket nets because he was a mad cricketer mm. as well, mm. a great all-rounder. He went on to play county cricket in England Absolutely. and, and, and was a first, test matches. And was a first-class umpire, a test match umpire. He, Ray Bright probably didn't uh, wasn't happy with some of his decisions in that 1977 Ashes series, but uh, he was a, a fine first-class cricketer and a very good English uh, test umpire. And I, I say we'd argue our best ever for sportsman of the Hornsby Shire. Then with 1916... That's a big call considering who's been produced from this area over 100 well, years. Well, we got the Maddie Dunnings and all those sorts of people. But look, Bill Alley was, mm. was a champion what he did. 1916, the hotels uh, brought in what they call the infamous six o'clock swill. Yes, and, and I'll, I'll, I mentioned that. It was obviously going through to 1919 when, when uh, Barrera started. Now, the, the Treaty of Versailles was signed in France, and that brought the end of World War One. Woodrow Wilson, the, uh, the treaty, um, Germany having to pay for starting World War One, and we all know how that turned out. That's, another, that's almost another uh, Wikipedia page. Well, it cost the lives of 60,000 Australians. Yes. And we had 417,000 Australians involved in that. So at the end of the war, when it suddenly finished, and it, I wouldn't say suddenly, but it, it was a build-up, but it finished with a lot of Australians overseas. It was a it was a logistical nightmare in 1919 for the government to bring them all back to mm. Australia. But what they did do is they, they started, um, the Australian government put together and, and, uh, and authorised an imperial force cricket team and the idea behind this and they toured England where they were to start with and then South Africa and I think I might have stopped in Siloin which became Sri Lanka and, and came back to Australia. And this AIF forces side was an outstanding side a lot of that 1921 Australian team that dominated the Ashes back-to-back Ashes series uh, led under the big ship Warwick Armstrong came from that forces side. They did, but they were also very colourful and the newspapers loved them. Mm. And so I mean, all around uh, Australia, the covering these games, they were very successful. They won most of their matches. They came back and played the Sheffield Shield side. I think they might have even beat the Australian Sheffield Shield champions, New South Wales. And that's when it, it, it came upon the government that look, we, need to get our, we need to get our people's minds off the horrors of war and a great way to do that was sport and obviously cricket was the number one sport back then and probably arguably used today. Mm. Uh, and they really encouraged clubs to reform and, uh, and form and Barrera was one of those clubs. They came out of that, the dust of uh, uh, World War I and, and the, you know, the encouragement of the Australian Imperial Forces team and their success. Barrera put their hand up, they put together a club you're right. They were a very far-flung, remote location. It was a place for holidays. And that's what Barrera was. It was a Sunday cricket match location. 
And a picnic cricket club, for one of a better term. Very much so. And, um, you know, I, I mentioned this to you over the phone, that the Hornsby Council back in the day was not fond of hiring out facilities on Sundays. It was the day of rest. It was the day of church. Barara got a Some would say that hasn't changed. <laughs> Barara's got a dispensation, uh, or got a dispensation back in the day because they had a church next door. Mm. They had to stop as part of the conditions between three and four o'clock for church. Most of the guys played cards, but if you did want to go to church, you just went up the hill and did that. Now, the earliest record, Tony, was, uh, of the Barara Cricket Club was the 29th of November 1919, and the Cumberland Argus and Fruit Growers Advocate, just before the Advocate started, which did start in 1919, mm. a little bit later. Um, but the snippet states, Hornsby Council granted permission for the Barara Cricket Club to put down a concrete wicket on the local park, being Barara Park, which is known as Barara Oval today, and also accepted the club's offer to assist council's maintenance men to remove the timber off the land. And, and the reason that that snippet's so important, it just shows that the Barara cricketers were the ones themselves to form the cricket field. Um, and under remove the, the timber and, and lay down and the concrete slab. Sandstone and uh, the, the, the cricket pitch itself. And for those of you of a certain vintage would remember concrete pitches as I do, uh, that was a real cricket education to play on concrete. Cricket balls broke up very quickly on concrete decks. But they also said it was a bit of a, um, a, a you know, almost an attempted suicide if you were to dive to stop a ball on the field. It was quite a rough outfield. Mm. And so they were constantly doing work on that. And it was the cricketers themselves. And Barrow's not unique. There, A lot of cricket clubs mm. did that. And that's how you got things done back in the day. Council's budget only, only stretched so far. Now, the first organised game of cricket was the 20th of December 1919, just so, prior to Christmas. So we're coming up to the centenary of that very first organised match. We are. And that was the Brower Cricket Club who played a, uh, a touring team, or team that came out to Brower from Girrawin. Now, Girrawin... That, that, that was a touring site in those days. <laughs> it was a trek to get out there. They must have left very early in the morning and probably came back um, very late on a, on a Monday morning. Um, because this is still... Some areas of Sydney, including Brower, were still horse and cart travelling. Uh, literally. Not... Much motor vehicles at all, literally Virtually horse no and cart vehicles. stuff. Yeah. Yep. Um, so in 1919, they played Girawine, and there was a, there was a bowler in the opposition called Keneary, and he was an excellent bowler. He took eight for 16 against Barara, uh, and he must have been a very very good bowler because the previous day he took nine for 62 in a game for Girawine against Hunters Hill. So he rolled through Barara, but Barara on the field. They had our first game. They had it team. doesn't say who won, and I suspect that uh, Canary uh, probably got the um, probably got the goods for his team on the day. But they they put the team out. That's the most important thing. Mm. Now the front cover, as you can see of that book, that is a, a photograph. I don't think of that of very volume first one, team. A volume one that is is a two volume history. Just quietly. Well, the Go second on. volume's got the current A grade on the front, but this mm-hmm. this uh, old photograph here is of one of the early teams. I think it's about um, 1923 I can date that to, and mm. I can get most of the names, which is terrific. But that's the sort of um, gear they were using. They took it very seriously. They had their own umpire. They had their own scorer. They had their own selector. Um, you know, it was pretty full-on back in the day. Now, 28th September 1920, the, the season after, it was reported that Barker College cricket star Frosberg scored the first century of the summer. He got 110 not out against Barara Cricket Club at Barara Oval. Mm-hmm. 1922. This is um, an important event because it was the first refurbishment of Barara Park. Um, Hornsby Council approved the cricketers to do the work again yep. under their supervision. Yep. And it says that uh, the work included ploughing over 80 yards and, in inverted commas, chipping the outfield. Ploughing and chipping. You yeah. wouldn't see any cricketers do that today, let me tell you. Interesting warm-up, yes. Mm. 1925-26, and this is a, a significant um, event 
for cricket locally, but Barara had a very good connection um, with this. And this is in 1925-26. Northern District Cricket Club was established. The Rangers as we know them today in the Sydney grade competition. And they were accepted in the Sydney grade, but they, they did a lot of work. They had representation from all corners of the local area because they had to convince the Sydney grade that they were worthwhile supporting. They weren't just going to be a couple of years, that this was a Going real nursery of, of, uh, for cricket in mm. the area. And, and since that date, it, it's, it's been it's proven. proven. Yeah, mm. It was unanimously supported, you'd be happy to hear. Yep. They had a lot of members of the council, uh, councillors, the Shire president, they were all part of that committee, and I think a council was even even uh, um, president of the the original club. And there, there's certainly a lot on the executive. Two yep. members of that um, first executive were from Barara. One was a gentleman by the name of Reg Manton. Reg Manton was a uh, an off spinner who played minor county cricket. Um, and he also uh, he lived in Mossman until he got married and moved out to Barara. He had a uh, the cricket club loved that because he had four sons. Mm. <laughs> uh, but this guy there's, there's half a team already in future years. He was a fantastic all rounder, and there's records of him winning games by himself. You know, getting all the runs and all the wickets. Um, you know, with the, the other guys just supporting as you'd expect someone who played minor, minor county cricket because in that era we're talking the the first quarter of the twentieth century. Minor county cricket was. Probably over and above a lot of first-class cricket in most places in the world, including the Sheffield Shield. Well, um, this guy was quite quite fit. He uh, kept himself in good shape. He played until he was very very old. I think in the late sixties he played with yep. his sons and yep. father and son after the war for Barara. But at this time he was uh, playing for the uh, Hornsby Club, which uh, won the City and Suburban competition, the forerunner to the Shires competition in nineteen twenty four twenty five, and that team then went on to become Northern Districts Grey. That, that was the, the club, if you like, that morphed into the grade club. Yep. Reg Mant was a member of the second grade. Yep. And they also had a gentleman by the name of Chaz Wolf, Charlie Wolf, who was a farmer down at uh, Barara. And, and those two gentlemen were charged with representing the club from the Hornsby area to the Hawkesbury and finding cricketers like Bill Alley, who we mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were a number of cricketers that come through the ranks uh, from both the Brooklyn and Barara area that were identified by these gentlemen, fed up to either the local association or, or straight on to grade. And that was a very important um, part of the development of that grade club. So that was 25-26. Uh, 1925, the Pacific Highway started to be built. Now, you may not know this, but the Pacific Highway was called the Great Northern Highway back in the day, and it was um, going from pretty much the Sydney Harbour Bridge that was also being constructed mm-hmm. at that time, going all the way up to Newcastle, and the idea was to make that route to Newcastle a lot shorter rather than going around the back way. Now, um, the only portion of that that wasn't done by the old RMS, if you like, was the part between um, uh, the Pierce's Corner up here and the Hawkesbury, yeah. Um, and that was done by Hornsby Council. Their chief engineer was in charge of that. But what that actually did, it brought hundreds, if not thousands, of workers to the area, and a lot of them were in camps in and around Barara. So there were people to participate in the games. There were people that participated in watching those games and uh, and brought you know money into because the area. Because there was still the rural feel of Barara and a lot of these parts of northern Sydney at that time because the road being built, the Great Northern Highway, which became the Pacific Highway, uh, there was dirt roads and still horses and carts in these still, parts. It was still hard to get out there until they actually sealed it. I think they finished it in 1930 and sealed it in 1932. Um, so in the middle of the Great Depression. Uh, absolutely. It was part of the, um, the Depression works. They, they received extra money from the government to, to uh, ensure local workers had uh, jobs there. How important then was things, clubs like the Barara Cricket Club, in the Great Depression? Very important. I mean, 
as you probably know, it quickly brought on 30% unemployment late 1929 when yeah. the Depression hit after the US stock market collapse, quickly followed by other world markets. Now, what this did, it, it the, the cricket club that is, it attracted um, teams and money to come and visit Barara and spend that money there. A very important part of the day of um, cricket at Barara was the, you know, the kegs that were rolled out. There was no pub, there was no RSL, there was no bowling club, there was nowhere that sold alcohol legally anyway in Barrera. Mm, mm. So the keg, um, uh, you know, having a cold beer, it was set up in the shade uh, or under a tent and uh, it was cracked probably about 11 o'clock. Um, but Just after ball one. <laughs> <laughs> but but it brought um, income in. It was it was sent down by uh, Somerville Store or the Hornsby. The Somerville Store uh, were, were sending um, goods to the Barara General Store and in, in that shipment, or sort of say shipment, it came by rail, came down the kegs as well. Mm. And they were rolled from the station to Barara Park. A very simple funding model. You had to sell grog at games to keep not only the club going, but also the township going. It brought a lot of income, but also a lot of um, players and the supporters stayed overnight in the guest house of Barara, in the houseboats on both Barara and Cowan Creek. You know, they left money everywhere. And it was very important, that income, to get Barara through that very difficult period of, um, you know, post nineteen. A cricket-led survival, a cricket-led recovery. Absolutely. Um, 1926-27, just after the season after, the summer after Northern Districts were formed, the hornsby Kuringai Cricket Association was formed, which went on to become the hornsby Kuringai and Hills District uh, Cricket Association. Which we know of today. Which has about 4,000 cricketers. Mm. Now, that was formed, local clubs like Normanhurst, St Ives, Kenthurst, Glenory, um, Hornsby, they all affiliated, but Barara didn't. Now, the point that you made earlier, Barrera was still seen as very remote. To get out to their away matches um, and for other clubs to get into Barrera was quite difficult. And Barara... You were telling me a story in the green room, remarkable how the Barrera club would set themselves up for an away trip. You want to talk about teams getting on buses in the modern era and going uh, on tour? Well, this tour happened every second week. It did. That's that's when Barrera finally affiliated post uh, World War Two with the Hornsby Kringo Cook Association. Mm. There wasn't a lot of vehicles around, and and most people didn't own cars, and they got around by train. As Barrera was, you know, fortunately on the train line. But when they needed to get a, t- a, cr- a cricket team or a sports team, for that matter, the, the rugby league team was playing at that time. The first. Um, uh, precursors to the Wallabies, they were called the Canaries because mm-hmm. they had gold jerseys. Yep, they jumped in the truck and went down to Brooklyn, or they went out to um, a truck, uh, literally in the back of the ice truck that uh, wasn't used on a Saturday or a Sunday, and uh, and and it was pretty full. And uh, you know they would uh, go out for and their a rough ride. Match. Let me tell you, well, it was part of the fun and the adventure going out <laughs> there to play sport. You know, and going across the ferry or or going around the gorge. You know, for out to Glenory or I can or imagine sitting in a Maruta. truck going around the Galston Gorge at that ninety degrees and yep, yep, uh, unsealed roads and a yep. lot of the way as well. But. Um, but at Barrera at that time, in 26-27, when the association was first formed, did not affiliate for those reasons. The other thing that allowed is that the good players that were coming from Barrera did play with clubs like Hornsby. And a lot of, a lot of Barrera players went on to play with Hornsby. Then they played the Sunday picnic match with Barrera. Yeah. So they kept, they kept their good players. They, they had a very good standard of cricket. Well, that connection to Barrera still rings true with all of Barrera's sporting clubs today. And it started with, with this, didn't it? It did. Look, Barrera... Um, Brow Cricket Club was the first uh, sports club. Tennis was played pretty early as well. 
Um, but uh, cricket by far was the most popular sport. What what happened during those matches as well? And it was pretty tough times during the Depression, as you pointed out. And, you know, being a, a poultry farmer with the price of eggs really going going through the floor, um, you know, you're relying on your, your orchards to produce uh, fruit. And the prices there were down round. as well. You know, they took a bit of tourism money. You know, they, they were really, really struggling and working seven days a week and, and probably, you know, 18 hours a day, really have their kids working rather than going to school. It was tough. Mm. But what they did, the entire village stopped what they were doing on a, on a Sunday for the cricket match at Barara Park with their local team, and they went down there. They socialised. They, the Progress Association talked about their next project. Um, they obviously had a few beers. Um, the women got together. But it was important for the psyche of the town the, to the get through these fabric tough times. And, and the importance of that, it was mm. really important. They had the hall directly across the road, unfortunately burnt down in 29, but but for that period, um, and for the first 10 years, they'd have events in the hall um, and, you know, play cards or, or whatever, you know, watch a, watch a film in the hall uh, after, the, after the match and have that social, social part of it, which, again, very, very important that time of year. Mm. A few of the early cricketers there, and, and a lot of people think it was the orchard farmers and, and the um, poultry farmers that uh, started. Yes, it was, but it was also the fettlers, the railway workers. Yes. That, Built the railway first of all, then stayed on to maintain it. And they didn't, you know, have the weekend uh, closure for track work back in the day. They did this <laughs> while the trains were going through. Absolutely. And, and as a result, and took there was the, a few accidents and, and too. And took the, their lives literally in their own hands because you never know when a train was going to come around the corner. A lot of fettlers, and there were about 50 um, families living in tents between Hornsby and Brooklyn, uh, were living along the line and they were given some land and the tents had uh, wooden floors. They had uh, maybe some chickens out the back and some fruit trees and herbs and spices and the, the, the water tank, the, the water train would come along and fill the water tank up and it was a community. Mm. Um, and they had kids running around. They had the highway on one side and the railway tracks on the other. Uh, you know, it was, it was pretty hairy stuff. But these, these were tough men. And these are the guys that the tough really, families um, that really underpin the Barara Cricket Club back in the day. And and you say families, and Barara has always been known, um, in, especially today, as the family club. But in that photograph, you can see that early photograph. There's a number of family members. You got Charlie Bunnett uh, Jr. and Charlie Bunnett Sr. sitting next to each other. And you've got to the front here. You've got Percy Brennan and uh, his two sons, Carl Brennan and uh, Lyle Brennan. Um, you know, the, the families, even in that first photograph, and a lot of the descendants of those people in that first photograph also went on to play for Barrera, and, and that still happens today. And I've got a chapter in there about the family members that you know, played for Barrera at the same time or, or going back through yes, through the different period over absolutely. the years. Now, taking us through then from the Depression, Barrera had established themselves by the time we got to 1939 and World War Two. Yeah, well... Um, it was 20 summers they had between 1919 and 1939. Um, World War II did bring a, the end to a lot of um, sport, not just at Barrow, but right across Australia. Um, the Hornsby Kringai Cricket Association did stop. What didn't stop was Sydney Grade. That, um, that did keep going. Uh, the Sheffield Shield kept going. Um, but uh, most sporting organisations stopped. Sydney uh, Grade Rugby League, as you would know, Tony, that kept going as that well. That kept going. And that was important. It was important for people to have a normality to keep... Uh, Race meetings mind. kept going as well. Yeah, um, but obviously there was a lot of people signing up and, and I think in the annual report in 1939-40 for the Hornsby Kringo, they had a list of... Um, you know, it was a, it was about 150 names of players that were playing the previous summer that had then enlisted, and you know, you, you take that many players out of a, an association, 
uh, you know, it, it, you just can't continue. And, and I don't think people wanted to. They wanted to focus on the war effort and they had their top-tier sports to follow and, and take their minds off things, and that was the way it went. Talk, so, take us through some of the cricketers, though, before we take our break. We've gone through this so quickly, we could be here for hours and hours on this, but take us through some of the cricketers that have been produced, some of the perhaps well-known cricketers or better-known cricketers that have been produced from the Barara Club before we take the break. Well, in particular, through that uh, period, that twenty, those 20 summers between 1919 and um, I mentioned Chas Wolf and Reg Mann, and yep. they were charged with finding some of these really good cricketers, and a number of them came through. There were, there were two boys. Uh, I mentioned that front cover. You've got Percival Brennan. He was a fettler. Unfortunately, um, he was killed in a, an accident going to work from Barrow to Cowan on one of those little, um, I don't know what you call it, you, put, you pump the thing that moves you down That's the track. right, where you pump the thing up and down the track to get you moving, he yes. He hit the Newcastle flyer going the opposite direction. Oh, dear. Mm-hmm. Um, he wasn't killed instantly. They got him out and they got him uh, to Royal North Shore, but uh, unfortunately he perished uh, soon afterwards. But he had a son um, who was playing cricket with Barrow when he was 11 or, or 12, um, a very good cricketing family, actually. They're good tennis players and um, good rugby league players as well. But Carl Brennan, um, he went on to play in the first season of uh, Northern District Cricket Club. In fact, he's played uh, a number of seasons, seven seasons in total. He scored 2,000 runs at 20, um, including a high score of 192 not out. Mm. And he, there's a season there he hit 792 runs um, in 29-30. And uh, most of that was in second grade, but he got a bit of first grade as well. Remember, also... 29-30 first grade, you had an individual called Bradman, another individual called O'Reilly. And he would have played against some good cricketers. Another one called uh, uh, no, Woodfall played in Victoria, but there were a number of individuals <laughs> who were half-decent Stan cricketers. McCabe. McCabe. Uh, yeah, Bert Oldfield. Oldfield. Kipax, you know, some oh, great yeah. cricketers. Mm. Uh, he also took 129 wickets for NDs at uh, just over 20. So he was a very, very good cricketer. He then went on to play for the association, played rec cricket, broke all sorts of records playing mm-hmm. rec cricket. This was interesting. He played the 1936-37 final for the Hornsby Club. They were playing Brooklyn. Bill Alley was a 16-year-old in, in playing at Brooklyn. He scored over 1,200 runs that season. Mm-hmm. In the final, Bill Alley scored over 200. I think it was about 260. Um, as a 16-year-old? As a 15, 16-year-old for Brooklyn and in a losing team. And i tell you why he <laughs> lost, because Carl Brennan hit 76 and 153. And, <laughs> um, and they lost by, it wasn't many runs, it was a very good final. But back in the day, just to digress for a second, they didn't play over two summers, or two weekends, sorry, as we do now. They played Saturday, until they got Sunday. a result. But they played until they got a result. And they mm. played well into winter. They got washed out a couple of Saturdays. And so they, they had to back up and keep backing up. Coronation day and the holiday, they played the full day. and so Until they, they got a result of proper t- two timeless, innings result. Timeless final, like a timeless test. Yes. Um, so those those extraordinary scores. Were Nothing wrong with timeless finals. We should bring them back, I reckon, <laughs> but that's another story. Lyle Brennan was another very good cricket. He played five seasons, obviously Carl's brother, with NDs. Um, scored 745 runs, took 90 wickets. Uh, you know, he got tremendous results. Both those boys got very good results for the HK um, Hornsby Kringai Cricket Association rep teams. Uh, and this is back in the day when there was another sport. So, you know, the local papers followed them. The locals followed them. And they were, these were, were real superstars of the local area. Of that and, time. And, and rightly so. You know, they were, they were terrific cricketers. So there's a couple of the... Um, I mentioned Reg, uh, Reg Mann. I'll just touch on Reg because this is yep. a, a phenomenal match back in uh, 1923. Um, now, they were playing the Bryars Sporting Club at Barara. Now, Bryars went... Th- they scored 88, Bryars. So, you know, Bryars mm. went through them. But Bryars went through Bryars for 32. Oh, dear. Now, 
because uh, on the, a concrete the, wicket, on a concrete wicket, oh, at Oval, and the Brower Oval had a slant at that stage; oh, it wasn't level. The slope, but most most grounds did, to be fair. Mm. Anyway, Briars closed their second innings at six for forty-six, so they were one hundred and two in front, and there was a few overs left. They're going to have a crack at Brower. One hundred and three to win, yeah. Reg Manton went out and uh, cracked 102 himself, not out. And Barrera <laughs> were none for 128. Now, Bryce did the sporting thing. They'd already passed uh, Bryce's total, but they, they played on to allow Reg to get his 100. But he was 102 not out. The other opener was 15 not out. So well, that's the sort of cricketer this bloke was. Mm. And living in um, you know, the, the, the rural area of Barrera, playing cricket for Hornsby, playing his Sunday picnic cricket at Barrera. And would have been a superstar. Would have been fantastic. A local superstar in that time. All right, speaking of which, um, we have reached the drinks break. We have reached half time in this episode of Splinters, a special episode to discuss the Barara Cricket Club's history, having just celebrated its centenary, about to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the very first match played on Barara Oval. We'll come back to discuss the period post World War II and the modern era right after this on Splinters. The 2019 Australian Ice Hockey League season has concluded with your All About Caring Sydney Bears winning it all. That doesn't mean it's all over for the year on the hockey front. Log on to bearsshop.com.au for all your Bears merchandise options. And stay tuned to Splinters and the Bench for updates coming out of the Australian Women's Ice Hockey League and the world's top competition, the National Hockey League. Sydney Bears, hear us roar. Sponsors of Triple H. Tuesday night on Triple H 100.1 FM or at www.triplehfm.com.au or at podcasts.com or wherever else you pick up your podcasts. Spotify, iTunes, TuneIn and all the bad places you pick up podcasts as well. My name is Tony Dosen, the Sultan. I'm delighted to have Councillor Nathan Tilbury with me discussing the history of the Barara Cricket Club. It's just turned 100 about to celebrate the centenary of the very first match played on Barara Oval in December 1919. He's put out a magnificent history, two volumes of the Barara Cricket Club centenary edition, which he launched at their recent centenary dinner. Let's pick up at uh, the end of World War II. We got to 1939 and uh, then Hitler marched into Poland and then the world was plunged into war for the second time in the first half of the 20th century. We get through that period where things get shut down and we go to 1945, 1946 into 1947 after the war. People are still doing it tough. Rations are still on. Take us through how and where the Barara Cricket Club regathered itself post-World War II. It was not easy for a long time. Well, it, it wasn't. and It's a bit like the end of World War I. Um, and... You talk about how we were doing it tough in Australia. I can tell you in the UK they were doing it much worse. Absolutely. And there was obviously a lot of um, Australian servicemen uh, in the UK. And once again, they put together a a, uh, a team made up of servicemen from, from across the Air the Force. The famous Navy. AIF Force's uh, victory tests of 1946 or 1945. Keith Miller, 
giving the grandstands of Lords a dusting in one of those victory tests was memorable. He was the the um, the champion young fella coming through. They had Hassett, another of of uh, established players before the war, who obviously came out to play, and the English crowd knew them. But they had this this guy with the uh, you know the long hair and the the big broad shoulders and the fast bowling and 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 uh, the big hitting batting, cavalier batting that he had, and the partying, and and, and he was great. <laughs> it, it was just what they needed. Um, obviously, they were playing against uh, the English team or English uh, various English teams, including um, an unofficial, a couple of unofficial test matches they played. The victory um, tests. Once again, they they travelled back to Australia via places like Sri Lanka and yep. were playing tests there. And uh, in South Africa, I think they went to again as well. Um, they uh, were very successful. Um, they were a bit worn out by the time they got back to Australia, and uh, and the results weren't um, so good against the the Sheffield Shield teams. I think they probably had enough uh, after about eight months of touring. But look, Keith Miller had been discovered. He was obviously immediately selected for the tour of New Zealand, um, and it brought of cricket... 40, 45, 46, the one test they played in Wellington, and yes. But talking about the influence on on Barrow and cricket across Australia, really, it it brought cricket to the forefront of people's minds. It took their minds off the war. And, uh, of and the rations, of the tough living conditions post World War Two. So again, the government really encouraged this. Now Barrow was a little bit slower. Um, obviously, they had a lot of people to come back still, and and uh, Barrow um, was still only a very small community of about five hundred people. Um, so they didn't form immediately. They um, they did form in forty seven, forty eight. And in fact, going back to that first rugby league team, the um, Canaries formed, and mm-hmm. a lot of the Canary players that were playing rugby league would play cricket in the summer. Would play cricket in the summer. You know, guys like Arnold Hamilton, um, who was the famous uh, local boxer, you know, very famous sportsman, all-round sportsman again, like, like Bill Alley. Yep. Um, Joe Foster, part of the Foster family. Um, you know, these guys were were um, great sportsmen, great community people, and you know they really helped get the. Um, get the place back on its feet. And and that's what happened. Browra Cricket Club first put its team in when they affiliated with the Hornsby, finally affiliated with the Hornsby Kringai Cricket Association in 47-48. They put a B-grade team in. Yep. Um, they were quite competitive. Um, they, they had a number of players who were local. They had a few players coming into Browra that were supporting the team as well. And that's what a lot of people forget. It was only one team that was... They were only able to get one team together in that aftermath, those first few years after World War Two, that's how tough it was. Well, the second year, in 48-49, they did get a second team up. It was a lower-grade, C-grade team, a lot of younger players. That B-grade team went on and won their premiership in that second year, uh, which was a terrific achievement. Now, this is before even the clubs had colours. The local equivalent of Western Australia winning the Sheffield Shield in their second season at around the same time. Yeah, it wasn't quite the A grade, though. It was the mm-hmm. B grade. But, mm-hmm. but look, it was good competitive cricket. Yep. Um, Barrera had some very, very good cricketers. Reg Mountain, we, we talked about him yep. earlier. He was playing with his son, and he was a he big backed up after the war. He got yeah. a stack of wickets. And he must have been late 50s, early 60s, but he could still play. Um, he kept himself in shape. His sons could play. Uh, and they really propped up, Reg in particular, propped up that that B-grade team. Arnold Hamilton was, was a, a fiery fast bowler and a, a dashing batsman. Um, Which fast bowler isn't fiery? <laughs> he was an, an Aboriginal gentleman who came down when they evacuated the Gulf of Carpentaria and, and for some reason the family chose to live in Barrow. And, and I tell you, the Barrow community were pretty happy about that because um, he and his brothers and sisters were terrific sports people and, and Arnold, Arnold in particular, um, you know, probably... You know, give uh, Bill Elliott a race for the finest sports person in the local area. Put it that way, if Arnold Hamilton was around today, he'd be a, a first-grade star pushing into 
Oh, Possibly was, higher on it. He was great at everything. He was great at tennis. He was great at uh, boxing, as we mentioned, um, and, and nearly went to the Olympic Games. And he fought Tony Madigan. Um, you know, he was uh, a rugby league player. And of course, for those everything. who don't know, Tony Madigan, Tony Madigan fought Cassius Clay right. for Olympic gold right. in Rome in 1960. Lost on points, but always had the respect of Cassius Clay when he became Muhammad Ali. And, and as I mentioned prior, um, these guys were local heroes. You know, the local area knew their names. They followed them. They they greeted them in the street. They recognised them. And, you know, sport was a very, very big thing post-World War Two. You know, the local paper really followed these characters and, and you know, followed them every week and, and had something in there every week. So Barrera pretty much put in that one team, but there was a problem. And Barrera Oval was in terrible shape, so much so that they, they had teams that refused to play there in um Was it almost condemned? 50. I understand it was almost condemned it pretty as, a, much as a sporting was. venue. It, 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 was, it was written off uh, for you know two summers that Brower didn't field a team. But what the cricketers did, they spent their time fixing the ground up. And they did. Um, and in fact, the, the association and a report said something like... Um, uh, 52, 53, it said something like, well, Barrera Oval came back on with the local club and when the grass fully covers the area, it will be one of our finest grounds. Uh, and a lot of hard work, manual work, ploughing, seeding. The cricketers did it Still themselves. doing it after World War Two, mm. And uh, you know they, they couldn't get a team up because they didn't have a home ground, but that's what they did and they got it right. Um, they went on through the 50s pretty much putting in one team, but they had their first A-grade team. And again, they didn't disgrace themselves. They were very competitive, um, played very well, and um, there weren't too many teams like today that wanted to come out to Barrera and play Barrera because they felt like they were playing the entire village when they came out. And, oh, yeah. And a lot of that still comes through today, as you know, calling games of Rugby at Marina Street. Um, it's the same thing at Barrera Park. You know, It's the closest thing you can get to playing a country town still in metropolitan Sydney in whatever sport, so it doesn't surprise me, given the history. Barrera also went through some pretty tough times. You know, there were talks of affiliation with other clubs. I mean, in two occasions, Barrera Cricket Club nearly affiliated with Mount Cola Cricket Club. And that um, would have been the end of Barrera as Barrera. End of the colours, end of the, um, the history of the club as we know it. We, you know, it would have been a very different book, I tell you, Tony. Um, Might have only been one volume instead of two. In, in 1992, I think it was, Tony, the vote, the, the second time they nearly amalgamated... 1992, this is the other thing, too, that a lot of people don't for, forget now, uh, given that the Barrera Club is relatively thriving. Um, we'll discuss the future before the end of the program, but... That 1992 close scare was about as close as it got to being all over. Stops. Well, they, they needed, time. as per the Constitution, they needed 75% of the votes. Now, the people that didn't want this to happen, the members that didn't want this to happen were the life members. And they were all wheeled out and they all voted against it. They got about 73%. Oof, the life geez. members got it over the line. However, the following summer, who plays each other in the A-grade final, do you think? Barrow and Mount Cola. Um, of course. You know... It just goes to show when it doesn't go their way, they decide, OK, so, so be it, let's get on with it. And they both, you know, reinvent themselves and become very strong clubs. So in so many ways, it's it's very good that we don't have just one strong club. So we've got two strong clubs uh, as a result of that failed um, amalgamation, which, you know, uh, in a lot of cases, in a lot of sports, is a, is a good thing sometimes when it doesn't go through. And the life members knew that, of course, and, and they uh, made sure it didn't happen. Indeed. Now, Barrera had a very lean period... Not so much for premierships. They were winning, winning lower-grade premierships. They were winning junior premierships. There's some very good juniors coming but through. But lean period for numbers. Um, yes, numbers, but also for A-grade premierships. They played in, I think it was about seven finals, 
uh, and and lost everyone. They even won one on first innings and lost they got it beaten outright, outright. Um, <laughs> in a very close match by about three runs. Mm. Uh, you know, they, they were their hearts were broken so many times. They won minor premierships um, the days before semi-finals, and they only had the final, and they were beaten in the final. When the top two passed the post, played a straight-out final. That was it. it. It was it was heartbreaking. But what did happen? is a lot of the juniors came through. The, the nursery was very, very strong. And in 1993-94, you had a A-grade team um, that was made up of only juniors. And there was one older guy in there. It was a gentleman by the name of John Hopkins Sr. He played for a number of clubs, although he was a Brio junior. Yep. That came through back in the day. And um, he was involved in, in uh, a number of different sports. But mm-hmm. he led a very young team. He wasn't captain. One of the young guys was captain, a gentleman by the name of Cole Davenport. And they went on to beat Mount Calder in the final. <laughs> the old rivals again. In the final um, at Story Park and, uh, and take out the premiership for the first time ever after all those failed attempts from generations before. Uh, A significant event that I was just going to come to that first A grade title that eventually came. It would have been, it was probably the most emotional grand final win in the club's history. Look, it was. It was a big sigh of relief of, you know, the 50 years or whatever it had been of trying, um, having some very, very good teams and dominant teams, but just failing at that last hurdle. And the young kids... Shaking the, the, shaking the chokers tag. And, and, and these kids, you know, John Hopkins was is in his 40s, but these kids were all in their early 20s, including the captain, or even in their teens. And, uh, and they won a, a very close final against Mount Kohler um, and, uh, you know, brought the trophy home for the first time. And that was it. Once they learnt they could win, they quickly won another and another and another. And uh, and Barrera was the dominant club of that particular decade. And that probably leads us to the current decade. It's in the chapter... Uh, Which is about to come to a close, actually. <laughs> it the is. The end of the 2010s. The chapter for the for the 10 summers, obviously this incomplete summer, but the nine complete summers and the incomplete one, is a decade of dominance. And, and that's what it has been. We won two club championships at the start of the decade. We've won the last two club championships out of 17 clubs, the, the number one club, not only to win it, but to win it in successive years. Now, the most difficult thing is to do this with a large club because you need all of the teams performing well. You can't have you can't carry some some bad performing teams. And I think that's what um, it really shows that Barrera's got it right with their balance. Their D grade teams, their C grade teams, their B grade teams, their A grade teams are all performing. Now, how many teams now, as the dominant club in the Hornsby Association, how many teams now does Barrera put on the field? In 2019-20, their 100th summer. Yeah, talking about in senior teams, we've got seven. Yep. um, Seven teams. Now, last year, uh, sorry, I think we had eight last year. Seven made the semifinals and seven made the finals. Yeah. And we almost won seven finals. It was an incredible achievement. It was one lower grade team that that didn't get it. Um, But still, the club championship wasn't a a blowout because you still need everybody performing well and, and, you know, although... And it's across uh, all the age groups too. Uh, all of the all of the grades, yeah. The grades, age groups yeah. for for the juniors is different. We go from the 16s to the 10s, and then they have the the third tier of the grassroots tier of cricket, which very very important. It's called um, originally it was called Kanga cricket, and That's then went right. to Milo, Milo cricket, cricket after the sponsor, yes. and today it's called Junior Blast. Now, since 1992, three on the lines of the T20. Yeah, well that that's right. So in 1992, three it was introduced. Jim Barrett, who you probably know from Northern Districts. Uh, yep cricket club who was a the president there he was he's a, also a Barrow life member 
he took this to the association, started that first season. Um, Barara and, and other clubs like Hornsby and West Pennant Hills have had literally thousands of kids that go through that system, and that's where the numbers spike at juniors. And you need those bridges from, from uh, that uh, grassroots cricket to juniors and then from juniors to seniors. And a successful club will always have those bridges strong. Which takes us now to the future. The next hundred years. We won't be around for the bicentenary. I'm pretty sure of that. Modern science is not that good. Um, But you are telling me in the green room before we uh, went to air to record this episode that Barrow have already looked down the track to not just the next year, but the next 10, 20, 30, 50, 100 years to try and ensure that not only they survive but thrive given the changing demographics of the area, the fact that Barara has now gone from a rural township to pretty much a, an urban suburb like most urban suburbs in Sydney with the usual mod cons, there's all the uh, distractions of modern 21st century living, electronic gadgets here, there and everywhere, the internet, um, phones with just about anything and everything as a lure away from getting out and about and being involved in sport and other physical activity, not to mention the demographics of the different cultural groups that have no cricketing background at all that now live and settle in these parts. And the cost of playing sport these days. You know, um, you're playing on turf wickets, your registration fees are, are not insignificant. You know, you're talking 300 bucks plus your, your uniform, plus your equipment. You know, it is quite a, an expensive thing for a parent or a young, a young cricketer to fork out each summer. Now, we were talking about this, and we were talking about how the Barrera Club had future-proofed itself against um, unforeseen circumstances, um, you know, costs being one of those. And to let you know, Tony, that um, the club now has had sponsors for over a decade. A lot of sponsors I signed up when I, I took over the, uh, the running of the club. They're still with the club today. We get income from sponsors up to $13,000 a year. And these are sponsors... Well, that's that like gold, isn't it? Look, you really can't take that for granted. And and these sponsors have been with the club for the last 10 years. These aren't one-offs. These are, you know, long-term people that are there and they line up to do it again. The end of the season, the club lines up and says, let's have a review. Were you happy? Let's, you know, bring this in next year and do a re- review to ensure everybody's content. And they're all local businesses all by local and large. All local businesses. The club ensures they are adequately recognised and supported, support those who support us very much so. And we've got a, you know, we've got a, a, a dental clinic, we've got an electrician, we've obviously got the local RSL and the local pub who would compete normally, but somehow the club balances that and alternate Saturdays they share. They share um, events such as presentations or the 100th dinner or whatever at the different venues and share the love. So that's really important. That subsidises fees, that subsidises uniform, well, the sponsors' names mm-hmm. on the uniform, but most importantly, it sponsors it's it provides funds for upgrading of the facilities to bring those facilities to the level that they need to be for a growing to meet, club to meet cricket australia cricket new south wales standards now whether they be um, practice facilities such as the nets at marina street or the nets in the two schools which the club has upgraded in recent years whether they be um the brfp facility at marina street which andy patterson through the wallabies led yes. the cricketers contributed to that and, and have presentations there and and have um facilities such as storage and the change rooms that they use and enjoy as part of a you know a um a, a four of the major sports clubs in Barrow that work well together it's not just where the cricket club 
it's just about us. No, we're a community. And the club is very much a community club. We talked about those bridges going from Milo to uh, juniors and juniors to seniors. They've solidified that. They have the A graders that go down and run the Milo clinics of a Saturday morning. They don't like getting up too early, but they'll do that because they really enjoy putting back into the club. They have a roster system that does that. Not many clubs do that. No, and that's really important to ensure that these kids from grassroots can look up to these A graders and see this is what I want to be when, you know, when I go through the because, system. Because, frankly, not everyone's going to be able to be a Steve. Smith. Not no. everyone's going to be able to play Sheffield Shield cricket or T20 cricket for the Sixers or the Thunder or Test cricket or one day international cricket. That is, that's the absolute apex of the game. But Underneath that apex, there has to be a whole bunch of grassroots players and local kids have to look up to their senior players in their local own club. Idols. Absolutely. Yes. So, so As the they fact- did back in the Early days. So the fact that the seniors are putting back into that grassroots, there's a number of senior players that have no affiliation with a, a, a junior age group, but they're coaching them. Um, the A graders train with the D graders and, and everything in between. They all drink together post-match and post-training. It is a club. It is not a silo of A grade team and the rest. It's not a silo of the juniors and, and you know being separate. It is one club. It is the community club. It is, you know, the, the Bush Telegraph puts in the results and the, I know the community's interested in seeing those results and, you know, photos of the local team and, and all of that's really important. So you can't see yourself in a silo of a team or individual. It's a team sport, obviously, but a, a team or even a senior part of the club. Or it's even, one club. Absolutely. And, and one club with the best possible facilities, with the cheapest fees in the associations, as I mentioned, because it's underwritten by sponsors, that you can see the photograph of the A grade in the cover there. They're all in the one uniform. That's the cover of volume two you, you of, can, the, of the of the You can the tell they're from that edition. team. Ten years ago, they would have had a mismatched uniform. They would have had different caps. You know, it would have been a shambles. And to be fair, that was most clubs. But And most clubs have followed the brow way. They all have the training shirts together and the training shorts, like a, a mm-hmm. local rugby league team. Yep. Um, all of that. Um, so everybody you know, identifies with the Barrera Club and it is important not just to continue that culture but also to keep the numbers high. We've got 10,000 people in Barrera. You you need a big club. You need to make sure that anybody who wants a game of cricket gets a game of cr- cricket. I know the club doesn't turn away anybody and if they get a... a How know, important is that in the philosophy of the place? Oh, absolutely crucial. You know, to ensure because that Because anybody... some clubs do knock players back if they can't fit in or if they don't have enough teams. Sorry, can't can't get you in. And, and we've taken clubs from other clubs where that's happened and we'll just f- say, we'll find a way. You want to play, we'll find a way for you. Okay. And, and everybody accommodates that. So that's really important. That culture now is in stone and it, it automatically happens. And I think that has really future-proofed us for the next decade. Barara Oval, as it's now known, of course, has been joined in Barara by Wairina Street, which is a fairly modern phenomenon it uh, was only put together in the 1970s we've we've called from there so many times it's now even hosting major events for the association the hornsby t20 uh, finals day is going to be played at warina street uh, on sunday the 8th of december which is a few days after this goes to air on triple h Look, it's such a part of the community down there at Warina Street. And it's not a football ground. It's not a cricket ground. It is a sporting facility that, as you would know, it's got netball courts on the far side. It's got a small soccer field up the top. It's got the rugby league field in winter. It's got the cricket field in summer. And it's got great facilities that the community themselves have delivered. And they've got ownership for that. They've got a great community facility on top of the change rooms. Which we've called from. And, you know, terrific place it is too to call from. They've got the kids' playground. 
There are even f- plans to further enhance that. But, you know, the club and all the sports clubs, I should say, in the community are very, very proud of the facility there. And it is top notch. What about, though, the traditions that Barara Oval has, though, as the, as the founding place? That is still used. It is. And quite often we get other levels of cricket sniff around uh, that Barara Oval because it is seen as the premier ground for the association. And Barara is extremely proud of it. Despite we're in a street being a ground equal in facilities, well, it, even if it's not equal in tradition. If you're comparing Asquith Park with Barrara Oval, there are a lot of people that say Barrara Oval is a better facility. And hence, Northern Districts have been known in, in past years to sniff around to see if they can get that as their number two ground. Um, that will never happen. Barrara, as I mentioned before, the members cleared that ground with their own picks and shovels and you know blood, sweat and tears back in the day. Um, the association is very, very proud of that. And you know, over the years, the association and the Barrow Club have worked very closely with council to ensure that um, you know that facility is is uh, you know as good a facility as it possibly can be. So no, no hope of NDs ever getting onto Barrara Oval in the future. Not as long as I am uh, here breathing, Tony. <laughs> and, and, and look, if I'm not, I know there'll be other cricketers there that will fight tooth and nail. Um, look, it will be remain a, a cricket field, but it is so important to the cricket club um, to see that facility and have those juniors driving past it and seeing a one day. I want to play there. Now you mentioned and we've mentioned this two volume history that you've put together. From the northern end it's called. From the northern end it's called from the northern end. Now tell me a little bit about the hours you put in for this so many of them. You've watched uh, Ashes series in the middle of the night whilst putting this together. You were telling me off air uh, in the green room and uh, it did a fairly roaring trade I understand at the centenary dinner? It's actually about the fifth print of this book, um, but I hadn't done one for about nine years, so I put in the last nine years and rewritten a lot and got a lot more new information about those those Between the Wars period. But what happened, Tony, when I came back from, from living in Brazil, I rejoined the Barara Club. I, I was... Um, uh, put into the vacant vice president role and the next day GM was elected president. When I became president, I inherited a lot of um, documents and, and minutes and um, uh, all sorts of things, um, different records. Uh, and these went way back. And I just thought, geez, we've had some very, very good secretaries here who have taken the time to put this together and, and ensure that you know, each season the documents are all there and, and I can tell what went on in you know, 1969, 70 or, or whatever. And I thought, you know, this is too good to stay in a box. And as you mentioned, watching, I think it was the 2005 Ashes series where Australia actually lost for the first time in many years. One of years the great Ashes series. In the UK, but mm. it, was, it was fascinating. And during that period, um, I put together this documentation in chronological order. So that's why Shane Warne's name appears in here. Sorry, go on. <laughs> chronological order. And, uh, and I thought, well, here it is. And then that turned into a, to a book. And, um, and you can see now the book is so big, it's in two volumes, about 260 pages each. Uh, and, you know, of course, it's living history. The, the history continues to be made. Um, corrections and, and new information is available, and it's been updated. To this point, I'm handing that over to the Barrow Club. They can do that. Um, but, look, it's a really, really good read. What if they knock on the door again in five years' time for an update and say, uh, Nathan, we need some help? I, I probably won't be able to resist that, Tony, but... <laughs> Um, you know, uh, the last 10 years, we talked about the do- domination of the last 10 years, and that chapter there is, talks about 18 premierships in the last well, nine years, because you're not counting this one, um, from 43 finals, and uh, we had 82 teams that have gone through. That's a very, very high percentage. You know, I talked about four club championships and three successive A-grade premiers. You know, the A-grade has not lost for 696 days. 
They have not lost. As this episode of Splinters goes to air on Triple H, that is. <laughs> 696 days. That's it's coming a, up to two years. It's a far cry from the days of being uh, a team of fettlers and uh, workers and poultry farmers just after World War One. There's one name that came across my desk that I thought, ah, this is an interesting individual. A certain um, member of... State Parliament, a certain Cabinet Minister has um, rolled the arm over on the odd occasion for this club as well, I understand. Uh, one Matthew Keane, uh, MP, was coaxed to the club from a, a floundering Wurunga club who didn't quite have enough for a team and uh, I uh, happen to know a few players to, in that club. At least club. he didn't go to Willoughby. <laughs> and I, I, I uh, invited them to come and play at Barara. I put most of those players in my own team and uh, Matt came across with them. I have to say, Matt was one of the ones that really didn't want to come across, thinking that we need to continue as Wurunga. Um, he did, he you know, dragged, was dragged across and he... Fit, he, he fit right in, and, and uh, he's been a, a, a major and active part of the club up until today. He's our patron. I think he's been patron for about the last uh, seven seasons. Um, occasionally, he puts the white sign and comes in as a hit, and he's a very active supporter of the club. And, and I talked about what he did in a final. I think he got about nine for 52 in a final. Story I'm sure he will remind you every time he uh, you see him that uh, nine well, for in a grand final. The, the, the thing that hurts Matt about that particular performance, he was in the losing team. Um, Kissing Point ended up winning the final. Uh, but look, what a terrific individual performance for Matt, and he's been a great contributor. He did play some A-grade as well for the club. He was a fair old cricketer, man, a good bowler. Absolutely, and uh, might have been good with a few words in the field as well, just quietly. But <laughs> we won't talk about that briefly before we go, because we're just about almost out of time. The umpires have pulled the light meters out here. Um, for those that want to get themselves a copy of this two-volume uh, history of the Barara Cricket Club. Where do they go? How do they go? It about is a limited edition. There are some left from the dinner. They're at Barara Post Office. That's the one near the highway. Michael Parker, who owns and runs the post office, is the club secretary. Sixty bucks. Go and see Michael. There's uh, a couple of dozen left. It is a good read. And uh, anybody interested in cricket mm. uh, or even the, the local Barara or even local history, there's something there for you for sure. Indeed. Look, we could go on for another. Four, five, six hours because I'm an absolute nerd when it comes to sports history and when it comes to taking yourself back into the day of how things started in a much different era and a much different time because I'm a firm believer that sport is very much a barometer of the times that the club and those people lived in. And Do yourself a favour if you're a local. Christmas present, Barara Cricket Club detailed history, particularly if the Test match gets to be a bit uh, tedious or there's a rain delay, you can do a heck of a lot worse. Nathan Tilbury, it is always a pleasure to speak with you on all sorts of manners. I'm delighted we've been able to chew the fat on cricket for this episode of Splinters. Thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity, Tony. That's it for Splinters. We'll be back next Tuesday night where we talk modern cricket. Big Bash League preview for BBL9 led by Matt Mears and a whole gang of experts to... Go through BBL9 next Tuesday night at 8 o'clock on Splinters. Until then, be good or be good at it. This is the Sultan Tony Dawson saying goodbye.